Hello, and welcome to episode two of Solarpunk Presence, the podcast bringing you a better future today. I'm your host, Christina Della Rocha, and today I'll be talking to a librarian about what libraries can do for you and about what you can do for your library. Because is there anything more solarpunk than libraries? They serve everyone, rich or poor, giving them the exact same access to books, music, magazines, newspapers, book talks, story hours, the internet, and the assistance of reference librarians. In other words, access to information. They're a place for kids to go after school, for tutors to meet with students, for families to come to together to while away a few hours, and for anyone to come to learn something that opens up possibilities or sends their imagination wandering into impossible worlds. They're also a place to go when it's raining or horribly cold outside. And as long as the library is open and staffed, you know that civilization has not yet collapsed. The librarian that I'm talking to today, Don Gardner, is an old friend of mine who just retired after 16 years as a librarian for the city of Salinas. Salinas is a town of about 163,000 people, 80% of them Hispanic, Latin, or Latinx, depending on your preference there, many of them farm workers or the families of farm workers. The reason for this is that Salinas, the hometown of John Steinbeck, made famous as a setting for many of his novels, sits in the Salinas Valley, one of the most agriculturally productive regions of California, or even of the entire United States. Strawberries, spinach, kale, lettuce, tomatoes, artichokes, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, grapes, celery, carrots, peppers, and onions are some of the fruits and vegetables grown there. So let's find out from Don what it was like to be a librarian there. Hi, Don. Hi, Christina. Let me start the conversation by asking you a little bit about the city of Salinas. It's in Monterey County, and uh, Monterey mm-hmm. County is a huge agricultural force. And they're on, of course, the Salinas River. Which is probably flooding at the moment in yeah. the midst of California's onslaught of atmospheric river storms. I would also want to mention that it's the largest city in the county. It's over 160,000. So it's far bigger than any any of the other cities, even though Carmel and Monterey are more famous, I think, for various reasons. Um, well, but, and have very, very different demographics and I would imagine very different sort of average incomes. And so it'll be interesting hearing about the situation of the library in Salinas, which is probably nowhere near as well-funded as libraries in places like Monterey or Carmel. And yet one would imagine that the, the need for a library in a place like this is is also much higher. I actually would have to adjust that perspective because I know that Pacific Grove, which is in near Monterey and it's on the water and it It has difficulty funding itself. It's probably because it's a relatively small community, but it's also a very, very wealthy community. And I know they have difficulty keeping funded. So it really has to do with the community itself and how committed they are to library services. Um, That's what brought me to Salinas because there was a test of the the Salinas community's commitment to its library in... uh, About 2004, the city council had decided that they needed to close the libraries because they couldn't afford to keep them open. And this caused an uproar. 
And at the time, the golf tournament that comes to Carmel and attracts lots of celebrities was going on. And uh, Bill Murray heard about the difficulty that the library was having, and he generously offered his winnings, which amounted to $24,000, something like that. I, I could be wrong, but uh, that's about Hang right. Hang on. I'm not up on my golfers. Is Bill Murray the actor or is this yeah. there a different guy? Oh, okay. And it got picked up on the wire services, as they called them, and went around the world. And the other celebrity that was important was John Steinbeck, because the main library in Salinas is the John Steinbeck Library. And it made the controversy more recognizable because we had a Nobel Prize winning author whose hometown was Salinas and whose main library and oldest library was named after John Steinbeck. And so people could recognize California, John Steinbeck, and closing a library of uh, a Nobel Prize winner uh, community. So I was working at Bookshop Santa Cruz at the time, and the library director and the assistant director would come in, and part of my job was to assist people from schools and libraries who were buying books uh, with purchase orders. So they would buy a large quantity of books, and uh, so they would spend several hours in the library and we would have a chance to talk. And I have in the library or in the bookshop, in the bookshop, in the Sorry. bookshop. OK. And uh, so we would have an opportunity to talk. And I was also going to library school at the same time. So as as the timing happened, when the uh, difficulties with the library were resolving with the support of people from around the world, literally sending funds oh my gosh i remember hearing about this in the news and being moved by the plight of the library i was living in england at the time although i still had a bank account in california because that's where i'm from it was a long time ago but i'm pretty sure i sent off a little check like for 15 dollars or something which in my defense was a little bit more money 20 years ago than it is now anyways it wasn't single-handedly enough to rescue the library but i did my little bit they raised enough money to reopen the library, and I was nearing my graduation, and I was offered to apply uh, when the time came that they could actually start hiring again. And of course, I did right away. And when the time came, our first staff meeting, there were 14 staff. And this is three libraries serving a community then probably over 140,000. And that's what? One to ten thousand. Uh, oh, and okay. Not a good. That's a lot of book recommendations you have to make. That's right. That was my introduction to the Salinas Library, and I have to say I have always had at the core of my relationship to the library and the Salinas community the story of them testing their commitment to the library by having the city council decide they couldn't afford a library and the city itself, the people in the city itself deciding we can't afford not to have a library. Well, 
So you say you had a lot of support from around the world and from celebrities and donations came pouring in. But what kind of support did you have then from the people of Salinas? Actually, there was a very active support. Uh, Many people came to rallies and demonstrations and to city council meetings. I suppose the, the measure of support was very, very strong and it grew and it grew. I think that it probably helped it grow locally because they would hear about it on the news. So what was it like to be a librarian in Salinas? It has changed over the years, of course. We, we, it took a while to grow and develop programs. There was still a period of anchoring the support, the financial support. And there were three or four years after the closure, there were several proposals for funding that uh, to increase funding that were came up. And so we always had an eye on our connection to the broader public and raising the issue of the services with the funding that we got. I believe they raised over $900,000 to reopen the library. Okay, and so this was this was donations. M- much of it was donations. Yes. You know, I just always assumed that cities pay for libraries or counties pay for libraries. Where else can a library aside from donations? Where else can a library get money? The bills or the votes that went to create funding ended up being sales tax. They added a point or, you know, whatever. Okay, so this is still sort of local city funding. Very much. Since Salinas is fortunate in in being of a significant enough size that a portion of sales tax or something like that would also be significant. We were at the time, what, 140,000 folks and also something of a of a tourist we did have people passing through from all over the world just because they were coming to monterey county anyway Uh, most of the funding is sales tax because of the notoriety of the closure it was a boon to asking for funding that ended up piggybacking funding for more police, more fire, schools, etc. So they were often bundled together when an opportunity was made to, to ride the popularity of funding the library with funding for other city services. Now, what was your day-to-day like once you secured the funding to keep the library alive? I always think of it as fun. I was very excited to be a librarian. I had been a bookseller for 26 years before becoming a librarian. Uh, Obviously, I love books and reading, so that really helped my orientation in the library. But being a bookseller is not the same as being a librarian in the sense that people voted for library services, we weren't ringing up sales on a cash register. We weren't keeping an eye on on sales, which is a, a motivator, but also also a kind of tension. 
the removal of the tension and the and the wholehearted commitment of the community to fund the library because of the services themselves was liberating. Uh, it meant that my love of public service and of books and literature and the services that we offered was recognized in and of itself as a value. What services are you talking about that the well, library is providing? First and foremost, it's a pub. It's a safe public gathering place for families. There is quite a bit of poverty in Salinas, so I think that is welcome for families that don't have the money to to buy the resources like books and movies and music and that kind of thing, or internet access, which has become key as we've gone on. But early on, it was a place to come to that everyone was welcome and everyone could get help and everyone could get help answering questions about practical matters in their personal lives, money questions, uh, questions about voting, questions about health. As a librarian, then you don't just help people find the books that they need to answer the questions they want to answer or to do their homework report or but you actually you give them answers. Oh, sure. Uh, obviously, they don't they don't just come off the top of our heads. Uh, we mm -hmm. connect them with resources. Usually that's how we answer questions. It isn't that we're the authority. We would refer. That's where reference comes from to legitimate sources of information that our training <laughs> has taught us are superior to just say word of mouth. We were also connected to lots of organizations one way and another in the community so that we could refer people to organizations that can help them with problems or um, questions. What that, sort of organizations? The Alzheimer's Association, for one thing. They're one mm -hmm. of our partners. So when people came in and they were looking for advice and support, then there were all these community organizations that you could you could send them to. I would never have thought of going to a reference librarian to ask for a connection like that. So that's that's good to know. So what were the main things then that you help people with aside from connecting them to information? I like to think that I helped people by make making a place where they felt welcome, which was job one and that they understood that we would do our best to give them the best answers we could to any questions they might have or to refer them to other organizations that might have good answers. And oftentimes that would mean we might call up an organization and see if they could help and verify before we would send somebody over there. For instance, uh, there's a, just up the street from the Cesar Chavez Library is a group of lawyers who primarily focus on supporting agricultural workers who have um, legal difficulties that they're trying to sort out. And so they get free legal or very low cost legal assistance. And uh, the United Farm Workers, which is just up the street is also another resource if people are having difficulties with that. So we do a lot of local referrals to organizations that are better able to help with okay. people's problems. So did you did you end up with a lot of farm workers and farm workers' families as part of your clientele? Uh, absolutely. Um, the Cesar Chavez Library in particular is in the heart of the um, neighborhood that many, many farm workers, tens of thousands of farm workers live. You know, I have to say that's my favorite library. 
So John Steinbeck isn't the only well-known name in Salinas libraries, I'm happy to say, uh, and a nice counterbalance, actually, to John Steinbeck. Um, Cesar Chavez didn't win a Nobel Prize, but he may as well have. Uh, he could have won a, a Peace Prize as an example and a leader of the of the farm workers. He was beloved, and he spent a good deal of time in Salinas, so he was he was known. There were people who who physically knew him, uh, worked with him, so that was an important link to the community, I think, um, and a source of trust. What were the main challenges you faced as a librarian? <laughs> the main challenges I faced were um, learning how to be a librarian, how to see the needs in the community and define them and try to find answers to them within the guidelines or the, the purposes of being a librarian. Much of it's information, but much of it's also learning the community, learning about the community, learning about the problems of the community and learning about those organizations or those departments of the city or other resources that can help people. So it's a mix of learning about the people and learning about the community itself. And that takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of just doing the job and doing your best to keep looking until you find the best answers. And also, actually, Salinas was a very old library. Uh, Salinas had a very old library, public, uh, public library system before I got there. So there were answers there in the institution ready for people in the community. But because of the closure, our staffing was cut back so much. We lost a lot of institutional knowledge, a lot of institutional wisdom. And there were still a few librarians who had served for decades there that helped us reconnect with that. But you can't simply transfer somebody to another librarian every time they ask you a question you don't know the answer to. You have to figure out on your own most of the time where the resources are that are going to help the community. And that takes years, actually. And also it takes a willingness to reach out into the community and find people who might have the answers. And and so I had to learn as much about the community as I did about any traditional resources that librarians uh, learn about when when they're trying to answer reference questions. So then in your view, the, the central role of the librarian is, well, is what? To connect people with information for what purpose? So it isn't just to help people find books, obviously. No, I really think we're intermediaries for resources to uh, meet whatever needs the public feels comfortable bringing to the library. And that can run the gamut of need, period. Um, there are also organizations that we could connect people to that needed food assistance, um, that needed rental assistance, that needed uh, assistance paying their uh, utility bills. Um, that needed assistance with um, legal problems. And because uh, the community has certain orientations like to the agricultural workers and the agricultural business, there are long-term organizations like the United Farm Workers that have been there meeting needs. And so part of learning how to help people is learning the community itself. 
because oftentimes there have been resources developed within the community to meet needs, such as the UFW or uh, or the local branches of various national or international organizations like the American um, Heart Association or local political leaders who can help on various levels, not just uh, city, but county, uh, etc. This is so this is interesting. So for you, libraries really sit very deeply in the heart of a community and aren't just there to connect people with entertainment or a little bit of, of learning and ideas, but actually to connect them with organizations and information that can help them lead more successful or lead better lives or, or um, save them from poverty or save them from, from catastrophes or distress. Is this kind of a new thing for libraries? No. Is this, is, libraries have always played this role? I think so. Uh, obviously, it, it, each library is going to be different and it's going to be a reflection of the community. But I think uh, libraries arise out of need. And the more broad minded the library leadership is about what constitutes uh, an appropriate need to try to fill, um, the different libraries are going to focus on different community problems. They're going to be a reflection of the community itself. I think that my orientation to the library, which was uh, formed in response to meeting the director and the deputy director as they came in to purchase books at the bookstore while I was going to library school, and they would tell me stories about the closure of the library and what it meant and what they were trying to do to reopen it and keep it going. And that framed everything that followed for me in terms of how I felt about the library and how I felt about the community and how I felt about the staff at the library, that they were dedicated, that the library was loved by many people, and that the library was recognized as extremely important to the health and welfare of all of the citizens, but I think particularly to the folks who don't have the resources in their homes to exercise their curiosity and to find things to read and and to find music and to find movies and other resources, and also to be introduced to literacy, because that's one of our functions is to do story times, for instance, or book clubs or author talks, and also have a variety of events that uh, introduce people to other organizations in the library um, who have resources that can help them. So we're a gathering place for other um, organizations as well that we can invite and partner with. Um, now I want to ask you what it was like to become a librarian just as the internet was really taking off for the general public. Did you have worries that the internet might make your job as librarian irrelevant? I don't remember having those kinds of worries. I also quickly became aware that the lack of resources in Salinas for families to use the internet, learn about the internet, learn about the technology and afford any of it was so great 
that the library was their link to all of those resources. Today, we still see a great need and the most common internet connection that many families that come to us for help is a cell phone. It's not a computer. They don't have internet access at home, many of them. Although that's changing too. We uh, now have, a, I believe it's funded by the California State Library to get mobile hotspots so that they can check them out and bring them home and get internet access at home. Now they're checked out like on a library card, just like anything else, and they're limited in time. Um, I think it's three months, six months, it depends. No, still, that's pretty good. And it's because of uh, the funding support from outside the community. That's a very expensive uh, mm -hmm. investment to provide that internet access. It isn't foolproof. People still have difficulties with it. And, and because it's fairly new, that's only in the last year or so. And much mm -hmm. of that also uh, was really, I think, pushed by the awareness uh, from the, I was going to say the epidemic, but uh, COVID, um, when people were so isolated and so many people dependent upon the Internet to connect with uh, resources in the world, and they couldn't because they didn't, all they had was cell phones. That's the best they could do, and they needed more than that, especially for their kids, I believe, um, because more and more kids take home uh, computers to do homework on. The Internet is a wonderful resource for the library, as well as perhaps a, a competitor for the attention and the use of uh, the citizens in, in the community. So it's a mix. I certainly wouldn't want it to go away. I use it all the time to help people find answers and find materials and find connections. So, or I did <laughs> before I retired. No, but you brought up an interesting point and that was the COVID pandemic. So I imagine the library must have been physically closed for a year or two. Yeah, I yes, probably about a year. I'm not so exactly how, sure. So how did you fulfill your, your role in the community if the library was physically, if the doors of the library were closed? Very strange. That was very strange. Also because the community broadly, the nation, didn't quite know how to deal with COVID. Uh, they were learning about it themselves. And I think we probably were out for six or eight weeks where we were literally just closed and mostly at home. And people were doing uh, make work assignments on their computers at home uh, because we couldn't do public service. So, and we were not gathering in the library because there was so much concern about infection. And no so, bookmobile driving either. No. So uh, no community, no going out into the communities to sign people up for library cards or to get them books. And how, what did that weird. feel like as a librarian? Very weird. Very weird. And and also scary because if it was so serious, it would close the library. You get the feeling that your your way of life is threatened. It's destabilizing and it causes a lot of concern. And of course, people were getting sick and some people were dying. Uh, it was scary. Uh, well, I mean, I you know I worked in a in a, two libraries when I was a, a student as a as a library page, one of the people who shelves the books afterwards. And you know, library books are disgusting. They're covered in germs. 
we used to have a book drop that was right next to the public swimming pool. And in summertime, you'd empty the book drops and the, the library books would be hot and steamy and moist. Oh and I'm, I'm sure I was sick all the time. Oh, my. I haven't had that kind of experience, but okay. I know what you're talking about. And I also know that most um, library books have some kind of uh, protective cover, like a dust jacket, but with clear plastic mm-hmm. over the top of it. Um, so we wiped them down. Uh, well, that must have also been a lot of work. A lot of work. Yes. So uh, how how did you reconnect with people as the pandemic progressed? How did you reach out to your patrons? We, like pretty much all libraries now, have a public website. And also we would have a newsletter that would go out uh, weekly or monthly to advertise our resources and uh, reach out to the community there was a real need in the community and the community did express its opinion about getting us to reopen as soon as possible. Um, they were frustrated that they couldn't uh, exchange materials, but everybody kind of understood that we were going through a, an extraordinary community-wide experience. Reopening uh, was something we started working on early. It was weird that we closed completely now that I think about it. But I forget how scary it was. Oh, no. The first few months of the pandemic were terrifying. Yeah. Right? The mortality rate was so high, and you just didn't want to catch that thing. At any rate, we early on formed a committee uh, for reopening, and I was on that. And we picked to open one branch at a time because we would learn how to do it at, at that one branch, and then we would work as quickly as we could to open up the other branches. It was also, um, there were a number of staff that took the chance to retire or simply left. And of course, part-time folks, they stopped working altogether. And part-time folks are an important part of the staff. So our staffing dropped during the closure. And so there were less personnel resources So we started a committee to try and find out, and a lot of that had to do with researching what other libraries were doing, which is a common thing for libraries to do. Mm -hmm. I'm sure businesses do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when businesses do it, they call it industrial espionage. Libraries, thankfully, are uh, more open organizations, (laughs) and sharing their information is core principle. So do you you have conventions where you go meet other librarians? Oh, golly, yes. Really? Oh, sure. Not just Well, I didn't that. know this. Oh, but uh, of course, uh, there are local consortiums. That, there's uh, one that our library, the Salinas Library, belongs to that reaches up into the Bay Area and has uh, many very large uh, library systems, and they support each other. And they also were a source of information about fixing or, or reconnecting with the community or connecting in new ways to the community because of the pandemic. Librarians like to to uh, collaborate. Oh um, my goodness! So there's yeah. this this secret network of of libraries. Just the opposite. It it there's no secret. They would be happy to bend your ear if you wanted to hear about <laughs> them. They'll tell you everything. <laughs> They'll spill their guts to tell you all about the library if you like. That's not a problem. Librarians love to talk about libraries and what they're doing. 
Um, so, yeah, we got a lot of help from the the organizations that we belong to and neighboring librarians, neighboring library systems. We were all talking amongst ourselves. And, of course, uh, the Internet uh, was the main way to connect with uh, most folks uh, at that time. And uh, librarians um, love to sharpen their Internet skills uh, to face problems. So there was an awful lot of that kind of thing. And interestingly, a lot of it had to do with creating a new model uh, that was safe. I enjoyed working on that committee and trying to find ways to anticipate problems uh, and safe handling of materials and exchanging materials and communicating with the community about what materials we had and also reconnecting with uh, people who had allowed their library cards to lapse or they'd lost them. But now the library was one of the few places they could get resources that they really wanted. Now that so many other avenues for communication uh, were shut down. So uh, we did a lot of learning about how to handle materials cleaning materials, how things would work with uh, distributing materials. We met people at the door for quite a while, and we would exchange materials that way. Of mm-hmm. course, all masked up, wearing mm-hmm. gloves. It was uh, strange. It's surreal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. So so I'm thinking, so if, if bookstore people are book people, then library people are, are actually people people. They're people people. And they're information people. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's the bridge. That's the exchange. It's information. Uh, library people are, are um, and, and by information, I'm talking about any media and, mm-hmm. and any, any resource informationally. A picture is information. You know, the, um, there are so many forms of information, but and the libraries, I can tell you, would be happy to have collections of all the different kinds mm-hmm. uh, if they could, but we have to focus on the ones that are most easily exchanged. So then libraries form this, play this really, really important role in communities and connecting people to the information that they, they need to improve their lives or live their lives. Do you think libraries are in trouble today or do you think they're on pretty firm ground both (laughs) libraries are on firm ground at the moment but they have to keep reinventing themselves all the time to to keep pace with cultural change and to meet people where they are and people are changing where they are how they get information is changing all the time so you are a reflection of your community you're going to seek out and find what the needs are of your particular community, and then you're going to mirror that. Uh, libraries are really a reflection of the community that they support. Of course, they also share with other communities and other libraries, so they try to find innovative ways to serve um, needs that people may not have even recognized they had. For instance, again, I'm c- coming back to Alzheimer's Association, probably because I was working with that organization quite a bit in, the, in the, just the last few months. There's a problem that many people don't even recognize. They have a relative that is having difficulty with their memory. They may not be that old. There isn't all one profile. And they're, they don't know what to do or where to go. Mm-hmm. So where where do you go to find answers? Well, one place you can go is the library. 
You can go on the computer, you can call us up on the phone, or you can walk in. I don't know what to do about this, but where where do I go to find a help for, I, I think there's something going on with my uncle or, you know, my dad or who, whatever. And uh, the library is the place you can come and ask a question that you haven't a clue where the answer might be. And we're happy to people to connect people with the best resources that we can find. That is fantastic to hear. But now let me flip that around and mm. ask not what your library can do for you, but what you can do for your library. Use what it. Can, use, use it. it. That's the most important thing that people can do Absolutely. to support their libraries. Yes. Use it. Use okay. it. <laughs> yeah. Go to the library. Call the library up. Write us an email. Contact us however you can. And also encourage your whole family to use it. And actually come as a whole family. Please. That's the best thing. And one of the reasons I say that is because the library proves its value to the community by doing the best service it can. And we keep track of the various ways in which people have connected with us. We provide, we get numbers and we report those to the library commission, to the city council, you know, to our funders, frankly, and through them to our main funders, which are the citizens of the community that supports us. So um, the representatives of the community are people that hold us accountable for the funding and the community itself holds us accountable. So we report regularly to them on uh, the numbers of people coming in, the numbers of materials exchanged, the numbers of interactions that we've had. All those kinds of statistics are, are kept. But also we tell stories about the library. We tell stories about all the um, materials that we've new materials that we've gotten, the new resources, the Internet resources that we've gotten. Um, the more ways that we can uh, meet the needs of the community, we try to get that information out to the community as, as best we can. Okay, so that, that sounds like a good parting note. Um, so before I say thank you for this interview, then let me say, listeners, if you're out there, renew your library card. Go to your library, ask questions, let your librarians know what it is you need to know to make your life better or more fun or more entertaining or to solve the problems that you have. Okay. Um, so thank you, Don. It's been really, really interesting talking to you today. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> enjoy your retirement and thank try not you. to spend all of it at the library. <laughs> okay. Will do. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for listening to Solar Punk Presents. A podcast hosted and produced by Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. The audio for this episode was recorded in part on the traditional territory of the neutral Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabe peoples and in Germany. The opening and closing music of this podcast is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol. Available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. Until the next episode, keep dreaming and keep up the good work.